Sahil, what do doctors and investors have in common? Let me think about that. I don't know. They help people. Yeah, I guess. Anything else? I have no idea. But guess what? We have someone on to talk about it. All right, let's go. This is a personal video. Any views or opinions represented in this video are personal and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations we may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. The views expressed are for entertainment purposes only and not to be misinterpreted as actionable investment advice. Welcome back, everyone, to Uninvested. As always, I'm Crockett Calloway. And I'm Sahil Seth. Shout out to all of our Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube subs. Make sure to check out on Investor Instagram as well for special news and updates and memes for that matter because the memes are getting pretty They're good. Coming. As many of you know, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship on the show. Yeah, I mean, that's the core of our show. Right, like entrepreneurship, founders, investors, doctors. Do- doctors? What? Well, let me explain. In today's episode, we are honored to, ha- to host Naveen Goyle, CEO and co-founder of Loud Capital. Naveen has a unique background. He holds degrees from the Ohio State University, University of Cincinnati, UChicago. He began his career as an anesthesiologist at Dublin Methodist Hospital, but after that, he made a jump. Since then, he has gone on to become an investor and founder of his own venture capital firm. From empowering the Chicago Bulls venture pitch competition to funding diverse companies, Loud Capital truly uh, empowers all entrepreneurs. If you want to learn more about Naveen and his thought process, check out his book, Physicians Underdog, available on Amazon. It'll also be on sale this upcoming December. You can't get a more unique perspective than Naveen's. Welcome to the show, Naveen. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, Naveen, we are obviously dying to know how you went from physician to investor. Um, So for a minute, we'd love to just have you put yourself in our shoes. You know, Sahil and I, we are seniors in college. We're 21 years old. So is 21-year-old Naveen set on being a doctor when you are in college? Why don't you just take us back a little bit and tell us about that journey? Heck yeah. Um, so I've wanted to be a physician for a long time, probably grade school, and ended up focusing and working towards that with the thought process of this is my career, and if I can get to it, I'm good for life, which probably isn't a unique perspective with uh, how a lot of us think. Um, and so, you know, just so you know, nowadays, I don't ask people, what do they want to be when they grow up? I say, what do you want to start with? Because that's my new mindset, which is we always want to continue to learn and we want to continue to be challenged. We want to continue to climb the ladder. And that's how you seek and, and receive fulfillment. And no one ever told me that. So that's why I'm saying it now. But, uh, you know, after I became a physician and started practicing in anesthesiologists, as an anesthesiologist, I ended up co-founding my first company called SmileMD, now known as Offer Health, in 2014. And that essentially got me into an entrepreneurial mindset of, wait, we just created something. Now, what else can't we do? And it wasn't necessarily as smooth, like this is easy, things were just falling in place. Um, in fact, it was the opposite. Sales were slow, multiple times we were like, should we keep going? And this is a mobile anesthesia company that we started. Um, And eventually uh, I got very empowered and kept going and kept feeling like a problem solver that could 
make a dent in the universe. And eventually that got me into investing and more angel investors kind of saying, hey, where should I invest? What should I support? What entrepreneurs should we keep moving forward? And then Loud Capital was co-founded in 2015. So this was a slow evolution of mindset, of confidence, and really feeling like you can change the world on a larger scale or larger stage than originally thought. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I always wanted to be a founder growing up, but then when I like heard about venture capital, it's like you can affect so many founders, make an even bigger impact than you know one one company. But you talked a lot about you know physician ethics within venture capital. How has your experience as a doctor impacted your investing styles? Yeah, that's a great question. So as a physician in general, when you are working, let's say in your in your clinical job, there's really no question of who is the center point of of focus and it's it is the patient it's like whatever we need to do and you go to work and you do what you need to and then you go into the let's call it the wild west of of business and you know it's it's the wild west there's people with different alignments people with different goals some people are like i just want to make a crap load of money some people are like i just want to sell this product as much and some people say hey actually i feel like i want to build a business around people and service them and have this long-term sustainable model like there's just different alignments so there's a lot of noise out there and i think bringing my mindset of hey what's what's going on here why are we not focusing on this center over here that's what i feel like i was trained to do and i feel fulfilled that way and i feel ethically good that way and uh that just made sense to me so we've crafted the company and all the companies that we touch are based on that, to not lose focus on serving people. And this is not philanthropy, this is capitalism. And so this is building a smart business that can make money, but also can be sustainable. So a hundred years from now, the problem that the original company is solving is hopefully still being solved. And that's how I look at entrepreneurship. That's how I look at venture capital supporting that and then being an active role to help mitigate risk knock down obstacles and help grow that company. So you can make money, be fulfilled, feel good, and take care of people just like I was in the hospital, except not in a hospital setting. So the way I almost think about that, um, and I think a lot of this comes from what you touch on in your book, Physician Underdog, um, is it's almost like an investigative mindset, right? Like in the same way that doctors investigate things and then we make this immense medical progress over hundreds of years, like you're almost like an investigator as a venture capitalist. Is, is that is that kind of where that mindset crossover happens? Yeah, and, and I think that's a that's a good way to put it. I, I'm going to uh, put it in another way as well. It's a holistic approach. And so when when we are seeing a patient, we're asking a bunch of questions that have to do with their social lifestyle, uh, history, you know, what's going on. And it's the whole picture in the world of venture capital. Traditionally, it is a slice of the business is very focused on financials. It's very focused on, okay, how are we going to move this mark? And many times the holistic picture of even the, the health of the founders, the health of the team, the culture and alignment of retention and recruitment of employees um, and great people to join that organization, which is so, so important. Um, you know, everyone wants these big growing companies and they want these big exits, but you know what, outside of some particular ones that happen to accelerate really, really fast and make all the headlines, most companies are built over time that 
are built on a solid foundation. And to, to, to enable that foundation, you need investors and other people and experience to help mold that foundation. Um, and so we like to participate in that. Actually, that's a very entrepreneurial spirit of venture capital that I see, especially when you play in the early space, seed, series A, et cetera, where there's still a lot of moldability and it's not just about growth, growth, growth. So um, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a holistic approach and I think your investigative approach is, 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 is well said. There's one question I do want to ask. You're really talking about investing in companies that are going to make a big difference going in the future, really sustainable, you know, 100 years from now. And obviously you have that, you know, that background of healthcare. And you can say all healthcare companies are going to make a huge impact on people, directly um, benefiting people. But are there any other industries you really see that make similar impacts and that like you are fond of investing in? Absolutely. And so, um, you know, people assume that we only do healthcare because I have a physician background, but I have multiple partners with non-physician, non-healthcare backgrounds. So we're actually industry agnostic. We have uh, close to 70 different companies, uh, many non-healthcare. Um, a lot of them are technology, we have energy, we have education. And so when you talk about healthcare, and, and like you said, Sahil, about taking care of people, so that's more, a little bit more obvious on the impact side. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the last few years, you know, with the pandemic stressing the world out in many ways, not just stress mentally, but stressing systems that don't work, such as education. Mm -hmm. So I have two daughters, 14 and 12. I live in a pretty nice uh, suburb and a nice school system. And so we were fortunate to still have transportation. We were fortunate to still have teachers and we were fortunate to still have them go to school most of the time. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the country didn't have that, a lot of the world didn't have that. And so what it did for our team is this is crazy how there's all these young kids around that don't have access to education outside of the stresses of the pandemic and whatever was happening at home and, and around the world. How can we enable education for a child that doesn't have the same school system that I live in or doesn't have the same devices, etc. Um, to access that so it's access to education. So that's a technology component. It's also a people component because just like a lot of physicians, nurses, medical um, folks are leaving the industry of healthcare, a lot of teachers and administrators, et cetera, are leaving the system of education because they no longer feel like they're serving students. This is a vehicle that is not serving its students. And so we're very interested in not only the technology to reach kids, not only in the teacher training to retain, recruit the best of the best so they feel fulfilled, but also the content and how we're approaching education. Because the, the, the school, the, the courses and things that I was learning in college, I have a feeling both of you are kind of learning in college right now. And the world is vastly different. Yeah. And I graduated in 1999, so it's been a while, fellas. So, um, you know, so my point is, how has that not changed the actual content and so you know I, I can talk about this forever but education is a big one i'm very interested in it i see my my own girls learning stuff that i'm not actually i, I am sure that it's really not relevant for this world yeah. it's a really about yeah. embracing change and having skill sets to adapt to that change and that's not what's being mm. taught mm. so i mean you, you're clearly expressing right now and you've talked a little bit about it before like you have this vast array of experience um, from, you know, you're, you, you just mentioned graduating in 99 to just everything else you've done in life. 
uh, you know, as a, as a position kind of in your, your past life, if you will. So you're, you're clearly very um, keen on how investors' past experience can help shape the journey of the entrepreneurs they're investing, right? Um, there are a ton of VC firms out there, like we've talked about Andrew and Horowitz a lot on the podcast, who traditionally, like, they wouldn't hire investors if they hadn't been founders themselves, if they hadn't kind of walked the walk before you talked the talk. Um, how do you feel about that mindset and kind of how do you think that connects to your idea of being an underdog and kind of bringing unique experience to the table? Uh, yeah, I'm actually very aligned with with that philosophy of entrepreneur going into the investment world uh, for a couple of reasons. I feel very strongly, but in my world, feeling strongly is one thing, but I don't see everything as black and white because there's always exceptions and there's and there's a... Um, there is a place for a lot of different people at the table, but in a perfect world, like you both said, if you have founded, you have founded startup before, and you're now interested in venture capital, both of you, that is a great pathway to me because number one, you know how hard it is to do a startup, whether it's successful, fails, whatever, it's not easy. And to really build the empathy with your future portcos, portfolio founders, you name it, is to truly understand at least some of it. And a lot of investors who, let's say, come from financial-only backgrounds and they're now at a large VC firm, it's really hard to really connect and build that empathy and really to understand that outside of this room when we present, there is a lot of crap load of work that's not sexy, that's really not talked about, that won't show up on a sheet that needs to be done. The second thing is, I do think if you're a founder of something and have some experience, you not only will bring empathy, but you will bring an angle of experience that can probably contribute uh, some help to that founder. Now, that, that financial background only person who's never been a part of a growth company, never been a founder, also has value add, but I just see that as a, there's a lot of people in that bucket in this venture world. So in a perfect world, you have all of them, but you need to have a lot of founders or people who've been in these kind of growth companies to truly be empathetic, helpful, patient, and to connect with your founders. Because the biggest thing is building trust with your founders. It's not just adding experience, that it's really connecting with them. And so if so, if there's an investor that's a pain in the ass that doesn't has no clue what I'm going through, a year from now, I'm not calling that person. I'm not relying on that person. I'm not leaning on that person. And if you're that investor that's not being leaned on or being called or put in the loop, that's a disadvantage and that's a higher risk to you and your fund. So it comes down to building trust with the founders, being empathetic, and then growing alongside with them with the outcome of success and profit and all those things. But you need to get on that same line. And by the way, I've experienced it as a founder. I've experienced it on many conversations where other investors at, uh, in our same portcos aren't playing well with our founders. And all it does is close doors. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I've seen like the past few years, it's been this like new thought process in the venture world where they can, you know, cultivate people from, you know, starting from analysts, you know, you know, Bessemer in the past few years, they've come out and say like, we can in-house, you know, make venture capitalists. You don't longer need the past experience. What is your thought process on that? Or do you think if there's going to be something lacking in the future, like you were saying? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot more, um, as people are looking at success of portfolio companies and failures, right? And so, all the the stuff that's always been talked about funding you know financial modeling and budgeting and all that kind of stuff I, I completely agree with that but when you really look at personality tests and and plugging in and 
and connecting and missing low-hanging fruit opportunities, which a lot of it's communication and some organization, that actually is where it's relevant because there's one thing to say, hey, portfolio company, you have to make sure you all know each other, see what you're missing, leaning on and not. But now investors know that they also have to do that for themselves. So when they do invest in a company, they understand how they're going to connect or what they need to do to further connect and kind of grow this long-term relationship. So I think more data is out there and there's now more of a shift. Um, but like a lot of things, let's see how it plays out. I don't think still there's a lot of mainstream, you know, m money, money still drives so many decisions. So if you have large funds out there, which you do, who don't feel like they need to, because there's, there is narcissism. There's a, there's plenty of uh, confidence in this, in this field. There might not be change. Uh, and, and you could say that about a lot of corporations and a lot of industries that I consider dinosaurs. They just don't know it yet because it will not be relevant. And your generation and younger and whoever will not tolerate it like it was tolerated before. So if you really want to be relevant, people should be listening, especially if they're forming their company right now or if they're joining a company that doesn't really see um, that aspect. Interesting. I, I think a kind of appreciating the value of like listening to where people are coming from is is super underspoken, especially in venture capital, where people uh, like to say that a lot of investors like to say they have like super distinct views and perspectives. But a lot of the time they just kind of copy from what each other is saying. You bring a perspective that's really interesting in your book about you talk about um, how the idea of being an underdog is about turning barriers into ramps, um, I, I think is the exact thing that you say. Um, and so that idea of kind of turn into a ramp or a launch pad, like how do you bring your own experience as an underdog to that? Really, what do you mean by turning a barrier into a ramp? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you, I have, um, here's an example. Here's an example of me thinking something was a disadvantage. And so when I was growing up, I had people around me in my uh, classes that were dyslexic. And so if they were dyslexic, there was like, okay, this is gonna be different. They need to do, you know, there's, there's different support structures and oh my gosh, they're dyslexic. I have a few members on my team that are dyslexic and they're not only superstars, but they're superstars in a few lanes because they are dyslexic. And without going really, really deeply into it, because they were dyslexic, they now are so much smarter in other things that people were not paying attention to. So what I saw as a disadvantage, let's call it an underdog, was actually building up muscles for other things that I was not even working on. And so I look at what we call disabilities today very differently because I think it's just, it's almost like different DNA. It's like, this is your structure that you're formed. We call it something, but this is just an individual with different superpowers. And I'm, I'm not saying that to be PC. I, I truly believe it. And so now when you apply that to an underdog, right, where you have, um, you know, there's a lot of unfortunate things that happen in the world. When you have a child who loses a parent and now they have a single parent and they're growing up and, and there's a lot to be, to be sad about. But in that, mm -hmm. there, there is a real human spirit that can be built that becomes so much stronger. And there's a lot of people that I know who've had so much early adversity in their childhood life who are now people I call and say, hey, can I, like I'm leaning on them because they're such a superpower. And they, they have that superpower because of the adversity that they had. 
So for me, it's really about we all are underdogs. Even if you have uh, a, a family on a magazine who looks wealthy and happy and everyone, everything seems amazing, they are still undergoing their own adversity. And it's what they do with it to keep going. Yeah, so it, would it be correct to say that anyone can be an underdog? Absolutely. In fact, that's actually what I want to point out to people. Uh, it's, it doesn't have to be someone with this with crazy story. And, and in fact, the, the, the misnomer could be physician underdog. And that's actually why I named it. Because most people think you're a physician and there's nothing really to be an underdog about. Maybe nowadays people know a little bit more about it. But overall, hey, you made it. You're now this and you're taking care of people and you're doing well, whatever. But guess what? There's a lot of adversity that physicians are undergoing today. And not only that, there are humans behind every career. And so if you see your physician tomorrow and they seem good and they're taking great, they're taking great care of you, but there's pro they're probably struggling in their own right. And so what I was struggling with was I was disappointed that I did everything supposedly right, just squeaked into med school, just got in, and my dream job, but why am I feeling unfulfilled? Like I felt, I was, I was pissed off. I was like, why am I feeling this way? I did everything right. And guess what? There's a lot of people, a lot of professionals, a lot of non-professionals, whatever you want to call it, who are supposedly at this peak of success from the outside, but they don't necessarily feel that way. And that's an underdog scenario. That shouldn't happen because we did everything right. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of how I feel about, um, the underdog. So I do believe everyone is an underdog. And if you don't recognize it, it's actually looking a little bit deeper inside. It's actually an introspective exercise. And based on that, by bringing up that adversity, I feel like you can become stronger and learn more and be better. Yeah, so you're speaking a lot about adversity. And one thing about that, no one faces, you know, more adversity than founders. Like founders are always facing adversity. I've talked with millions of founders. Many of them have failed so many different startups, but you know, the ones that make it, they can grow these fast scaling startups. But then we see then, you know, sometimes when the company becomes public, you know, it all crumbles. So like, do you really see there's different qualities between these founders that build up this muscle to grow these companies compared to these like CEOs that come in and like take over the companies rather than the founder themselves? Like what is your thought process on like public CEOs versus the founders? Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I, I, I've, I wear a lot of different hats and, I feel I have opinions on every pathway, but mm. it's still it's mm. still very different. Like it's still it's so different to compare to say this one versus that one. If you're a CEO and you're coming into a public company, imagine the expectations of that. By the way, yeah, I mean immense, yeah, immense. And now, so you're already set up in a way of like you're on the spotlight day one. And if things don't move fast, you're out. I mean, how how hard is that? I mean, that's really challenging. But then you look at a founder who's built the company from scratch, went through so much, but there's also some benefit of the doubt because you're the founder and you know everybody and you know that, you know, so there's, there's just adversity in everything. And so that's, that's my point. I think the point is we have to have empathy for the other aspect. And so if you're a founder and you've undergone hundred out of a hundred kicks in the gut straight in a row, I mean, that sucks, mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. Most people would still come back, right? The ones who exactly. have failed still come back exactly. because there's nothing like it. It feels real. It's adverse. And people complain, man, the founder's life sucks. It's tough. But they're, they're still here tomorrow because they love it. So 
you know, at the same time, I, I feel like there's there's a lot of fulfillment in being a founder. There's there's creativity. You can do whatever you want and you can fail. You can fall on your face, but you can keep doing it. That's to me is very liberating in the physician world. You have people who worked really, really hard, followed all these perfect things here, this plan. And now there's adversity because now they have to be perfect. And when they you know, if, if they if they're not perfect, they they're looked upon as like, hey, what what just happened here? And that's like, think about that. Like, I don't know how to compare that to a founder, but that is that is challenging in itself. And they don't have creative space and outlook and all these things, but they also have the privilege of taking care of people. So it's just like, there's there's a lot of like ups and downs, but everyone is undergoing their own adversity. And so wearing all these different hats, that's what I've realized. I love it. I love the, it's like, you've, you've touched on this like awesome, like trio of, these like you know you have to be a listener you have to be an empath you have to be resilient as hell like those are like those are clearly things that don't just make an underdog but just make like people in the investing and entrepreneurial space like if you're not an operator in this space who can do all three like like what what value adding i love it um we we're we're getting to time we like to end with uh our final big question to all the guests we have on we're super curious and our listeners are curious uh, Naveen, what's one routine that you have kept throughout the years that you think contributes to who is Naveen? So the last decade, I do yoga almost every day. So we can call it yoga. We can call it the morning time I wake up and I, I, I work out for 30 minutes at least. And so what that does for me is it working on myself. And with yoga, you actually can do physical and mental. And so this morning I did a half hour of yoga and I, I work at home. But post pandemic, I, I haven't been going to gyms. I'm just very comfy at working out in the morning at home. And that's what I did. And I was thinking about it this morning. So I'm, I'm physically doing my thing, but mentally I'm clearing my head. And so every single day, and I, I'm, I'm a nerd, kind of a robot guy. So I, I wake up like at 5.15 in the morning. I do yoga. I read. I'm like such a nerd now. Um, I'm working on myself. And so when I'm now ready to make decisions and, and, and do the formal work stuff, I have already worked on myself. So I'm a clear mind. I feel fulfilled and good already. And whatever comes my way, I feel like I'm handling it better. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of my routine. Now, I'm human, so I, I, I skip, I sleep in, I do stuff like that. But overall, that's kind of a, something I'm a pretty big stickler on. I'm like, love it. I'm like, you're, no, yeah, I, no. you're a powerhouse. 515 into yoga, you're... Yeah, I mean, I'm convinced. Our last guest said the same thing: meditate, clear the head. I'm gonna, I'm convinced. <laughs> well, I can, I can, you know, I do a lot of stuff on YouTube, all these, all these videos and stuff. And uh, I just had a a lunch meeting with an investor who was asking me about. It. I sent him videos on it because, uh, you know, it's just, it's just working on yourself in the end, whatever that, whatever that looks like. And and I'll tell you, from my physician world, I used to get up really early before going to the operating room, but a lot of people didn't have time. So a lot of people go through their routine or, or, or day without really focusing on themselves. And I think we're talking a lot more about mental health, et cetera, but there needs to be me time every single day, even if it's in silence, even if it's a physical activity, even if it's reading, everyone needs it at all ages. And I think things slow down a little bit and, and there's even a gratitude practice that you can do. All right, so we're waking up Sahil at 5.15 tomorrow, and we're going Got straight it. into we'll yoga. We'll film it, post it on YouTube, let everyone know, follow along. Done. Easy. Um, 
Naveen, it has been such a pleasure. Um, love the perspectives you bring, and I'm sure all the listeners on all platforms are going to absolutely love it as well. Um, but as always, I'm Sahil Seth. I'm Crockett Calloway. This is Naveen, and this has been Uninvested. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment. Also, make sure to check out our Instagram right here. Look out for a future podcast where we do a Q&A um, for on Naveen's book. Peace.